Good morning, everyone. My name is Jenny Seibel. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, soon to be Emmanuel Anglican Church. And we are so excited to be with you in worship this morning and to spend the next seven days getting ready for Pentecost and for the day that we become Emmanuel Anglican Church. We're so excited to be doing that with you and to be on this journey together. In the lectionary, we've been in the book of Acts. We've been going through the book, looking at the new things that the Holy Spirit is doing in the world through the birth of the church. And so what we're going to do today may feel a little strange to you, but we're going to go very back to the very beginning of Acts in Acts chapter 1. So even though we've been reading ahead of that, we're now coming back to the beginning. And the reason for this is, is we're going to look at these moments um, right before Jesus's ascension and then the ascension itself. And this is a way for us to be with Jesus and the disciples right before Pentecost, right before this big day actually happens. And so what we're going to do is we're going to hear from Jesus himself. We're going to listen to the, the last words that he says to human beings while he's here on the earth with us. And we're going to hear what he has to say about the Holy Spirit and what it means for us and for the church. And I'm really excited to be doing that with you this morning. So let's read. We're starting in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? And he replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. That is the prayer to be prayed today and this week, Lord. Jesus, we are so grateful for your life and your presence and the gift that you gave to us in your ascension in giving us the Spirit of God. Would you help us to understand this moment today, Lord, to step deeper into what this day means, what this moment means for you and for us and for your church and for the world. Holy Spirit, we ask you to hover over us, create something new in us today, as we finish out this Easter season, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the beginning of this text may have sounded a little funny to you, being addressed as like the second book to uh, some guy named Theophilus. And this is because the writer of Luke also wrote Acts. 
and it's written to the same person. So if you look in the beginning of Luke, you see it's also written to someone named Theophilus, which means lover of God. Uh, So what Luke and Acts are is like two parts of a play, of a singular play. Um, So we need to think about the end of Luke when we begin the book of Acts. Jesus is with his disciples post-resurrection in the flesh. So we kind of start with thinking about this famous story about the road to Emmaus, where Jesus finds these two people walking along this road, and they're kind of uh, being sad about Jesus and thinking that he was going to be something that it turned out he wasn't, or so they thought. So Jesus joins them on the road, and he kind of listens to their complaints and um, walks along with them. And they invite him as a stranger into their home to break bread with them and have dinner. And Jesus takes the host position, and he breaks the bread and gives it to them. And in doing this, their eyes are opened and they realize that it's Jesus. And uh, they have this like glorious moment of recognizing him and then he disappears from their sight. Then the disciples hear about this moment and are talking about it together. And Jesus also appears in the middle of the room to them. And the words that he says to them are peace be with you. And then some really interesting things happen. I think it's important to say this before we kind of move into this text in Acts, looking at these final moments after the 40 days of Jesus' resurrection. They are afraid. The disciples don't know what to think about Jesus appearing in the room. You know, he doesn't appear and they're like, oh, there's Jesus, and all their doubts are erased. The text actually say, says, they are afraid and doubts rise in their hearts. So Jesus, in response to their doubts that are arising in their hearts, says to them, look at my hands and my feet and see that it is I myself. He says, touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And the text then goes on to say, while in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. So Jesus's next phrase to them is not one you'd think would come after all of this disbelieving and doubt. He says, do you have anything to eat? which is a very funny thing to say to people, um, especially in a moment like this. Uh, But that's who Jesus was. And I think it makes a lot of sense as we continue kind of to think about this idea moving into Acts. So when we go into this part two of this play, Luke Acts, Jesus is still with his disciples, has been resurrected for 40 days, been with them in the flesh, in his body again. And this begs the question of why? Why didn't Jesus just resurrect appear to the disciples, say, peace be with you, and then be gone, and then ascend ascend into heaven? Why was there this 40-day period of time? It's not that he didn't say enough during his life, and like God gave him these 40 days to like say all the things he forgot to say, or that he wanted like these 40 days of living proof of his resurrection. It's because God is a God of the living. Jesus sticks around for 40 days to live to be touched, to be hugged, to hold people, to be held by people, to bless people with his, the words of his mouth and his hands. So much about his life was being touched, about being with people in the flesh, touching people in order to heal them or being touched by people in order to be healed in faith. His whole life was about being God in the flesh. So of course he lived for a period of time after he resurrected on earth with his friends in the flesh again. Touch me and see. 
he says. This wonderful quote about this from Willie Jennings that I want to read to you. He says, The friends who held him before his anguish and their anguish, before his abandonment and their guilt, who wished to see him one more time, hold him once more, see him again, hear him again. This moment is more than proof. It's forgiveness, reconciliation, and peace. The body of Jesus is not simply evidence. It is much more. Love bound in bodies can now continue through death. Touch can be eternal. Jesus presents to his disciples a way through the fear of death by simply touching him. It will be the way of his disciples. Disciples must touch and be touched. Jesus stuck around for these 40 days that are leading up to where we are to be touched, to live with his friends, to eat with them again, to be fully in the flesh in their midst. So then he goes on to tell them in the beginning of this text to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come to you. It's going to happen soon, Jesus says. And so the disciples' response to him is a question, is this when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is a good Jewish question. When will Yahweh raise up Jerusalem as the holy city once again, the place from which which God's chosen people will rule their area and also the world and take over this kind of, um, this priestly role that they believed they were meant to live in the world, this kind of governing role. But in this question, they're still missing the picture, the big picture of who Jesus was, what his kingdom is about, what his resurrection was about. That victory means in the light of Jesus's life and teaching that there isn't about political power. It's not about control. It's not about influence or being at the top. Jesus's response to them isn't a rebuke even. It's just a counter narrative. He says, you will receive power, but it will be when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And your power won't be the ability to rule or control people, but your power will be in your witness of me, my resurrection. And this power is not just for the kingdom of Israel, but for all Judea and Samaria. And what he's saying in there is that these are two enemy territories. The power of your witness will be for enemy territories to come together and be restored. And not even just them, but all the ends of the earth. That's what your power is about. That's what the Holy Spirit is about, is bringing restoration to the whole world. It's not your rule that will conquer the earth, Jesus says, but it's your witness that will restore the earth. It's your life, your presence, your body, your touch, your witness that will bring the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth, person to person, human life to human life just like Jesus did to his disciples in those 40 days before he ascended. And then Jesus does ascend. And what the text tells us is that even as he's saying these words, they start to sort of like lift him up into the heavens. That I imagine like before he even finishes the sentence, he begins to just grow lighter and lift into the clouds and they, they watch him um, lift away. They're looking up at the sky, the text says. They're like looking up into the heavens. And I imagine Luke wouldn't have put it in there if it hadn't been for a significant amount of time. And I have so much compassion for them as I think about these disciples talking to their friend Jesus again. They get him again for 40 days and then watching him 
drift away. I wonder if they had like some PTSD from his death. You know, they watched this awful scene of his crucifixion and they believed like these people on the road to Emmaus that the whole thing was over. That what they believed was the the turning point in history didn't seem to be that anymore um, until they realized he was resurrected. And even then it took them a long time to really believe it and understand it. And so they spent 40 days with this man, their teacher, their friend, their savior, and then they watch him kind of drift off into the heavens. And instead of joy, I think they felt some fear and trepidation about that. It reminds me of this story in 2 Kings where Elijah, who is like the prophet at this time, he's a healer, a miracle worker. I mean, he's doing things that nobody else is doing. He's a wise man. And he has this sort of apprentice or like mentee, and his name is Elisha. And in true Old Testament fashion, we're let into the fact that God is going to take Elijah up into a whirlwind, as one does. Um, and uh, so that there's this story is building around this idea that this moment is going to happen. It's going to come soon. And Elisha seems to be struggling with this idea, uh, sad and like kind of not wanting to admit that it's going to happen. People keep telling him, you know, this is going to happen, right? And he keeps telling them to be quiet, the text says. He just keeps telling them over and over again. Uh, don't say anything else. Um, and so this, all of this is happening and kind of building up. They get to the Jordan and they have to cross. And Elijah sticks his mantle in the ground and the water parts and they walk through, which probably sounds familiar to you. It's a way of us uh, and the people at the time who knew the story, a way of saying like, oh, this man was really it. He was really the one. He was really God's anointed one. So they cross. And then the text says this. When they had crossed... Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended into a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And I can't help but wonder if the disciples were thinking about this story as they watched Jesus kind of ascend into his own whirlwind wanting to receive a double portion of his spirit, but feeling like they need to watch the whole thing in order for it to happen, creating a sort of like superstition in them to, or in order to like continue their relationship and receive what Jesus said they could. But then these two men appear, um, clear, clearly sent from God, we can call them angels, and say to them, men of God, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Which, which makes you wonder, like, aren't they doing the right thing then? If they're like looking up into heaven as the same way that Jesus went into heaven, aren't they looking at the right place? Aren't they doing the right thing? And yet I actually think what this means and what these angels are trying to say to them is that Jesus's journey into heaven started with a walk with friends on the road to Emmaus and then in a meal and then in 40 more days of living in person with his friends again. Stop looking in the distance for him, I think these angels are saying. He's right here. He's actually coming closer to you than he could have been in the flesh. 
There's something that happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon these people and also us that brings Jesus among us in a way that he couldn't be among us when he was on earth. In the finiteness of his skin and his bones, the way he was limited by taking on our nature, the Holy Spirit is the way that we are able to be with him and not in a sentimental way, but in a very real way. When Mary sees Jesus in the garden after he is resurrected, Jesus says to her, don't cling to me for I have not yet gone to the Father. As though saying, once I do go to the Father, then you can really cling to me. So this idea that the Holy Spirit offers us a way to cling to Jesus in a way that just wasn't there for all of us, for the whole of humanity when he was here in his flesh. So what does this say to us? What is all of this, this text, this Jesus living with his disciples for 40 days, thinking about the ascension, what do all these things mean for us? And I think it means a few things. It wasn't resurrection theology that changed the hearts of the disciples. It was being in the presence of the resurrected one, touching him, eating with him, knowing him. And this presence that they got to experience is now available to all of us through the Holy Spirit. And again, not sentimentally, like not in theory, like this is a reality that we get to be with Jesus through the Holy Spirit um, even in a, somehow a more real way than when he was standing on the ground of the earth next to his friends. Secondly, we often miss the presence because we expect it to be one thing and it's actually another. We expect the kingdom and the actions of God to look so much like the actions of this world or the things that we would do. We look for worldly outcomes and worldly answers and they're just not there Jesus just works. His kingdom is different than ours. His brain works differently than ours. We expect more like power, authority, applause, resources. And sometimes that's just not, not the answer from the presence. What Jesus' what Jesus's presence actually gave his disciples when he was with them was not worldly power, but the power that comes from the peace of his presence that they could somehow simultaneously struggle with disbelief and wondering, but still feel joy in his presence, that both of those things could be a reality for them, looking at him standing before them in the flesh. And how much more is that true for you and me? That he wants to offer his peace through the Holy Spirit to you, maybe even in the midst of your disbelief, there can be the joy of his presence. And yet Jesus when he was on earth, kind of still held on to this mantle, if we think about Elijah and Elisha. And yet when Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we are able to not just receive his presence, but receive the gift of the, the person of Jesus. That when the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, they are things Jesus is good at that he bestows upon us like the world that Jesus lived inside of his own body that when Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit comes to us, we are actually able to grow in us, the Holy Spirit is able to grow in us, fruits of the Spirit, aspects of Jesus's personality. And in us, we can kind of grow into the character of Jesus. Of course, Jesus says, it's good that I go to the Father so that I can send another one, another advocate for you. Because Jesus is now in us in a way that he couldn't have been if he was outside of us in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is not ethereal. It's not a concept. 
It's the very presence of Jesus himself. And so in this last week before Pentecost, would you join us in prayer, asking Jesus to learn what his voice sounds like through the Holy Spirit, to learn what his leading feels like, to learn how to experience the joy and the peace that comes from the presence of Jesus, even in the midst of scary things in our world and possibly even doubts in our own minds and hearts. Can you commune with him still? Can you be in, in a posture of prayer in your life in a way that you can receive him despite what may be going on around you or in your own heart? So we say, come Holy Spirit. Come and be with us this week, Lord. Would you hover over us again? Create a new thing in us, Lord. Bring Jesus to us. Bring us to Jesus. Amen. So come Holy Spirit. We will see you in our parking lot in a few minutes. God bless you.